the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I'm Hugh Hewitt. My guest today is Ambassador Richard Grinnell, former ambassador to Germany, former acting director of national intelligence. By the way, the first openly gay man in both of those jobs and in the cabinet of the United States. Also special envoy for the Serbia-Kosovo peace negotiation. Uh, Rick's longtime partner, Matt, is much nicer to me than the ambassador is, but everyone says that about Matt. Rick is also a cancer survivor and encourager of everyone battling that disease. But now Rick Rennell is back in California and is here today to talk about California. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Hugh, thanks for having me. It's always nice to be here. I, I have to begin with the breaking news. Prince Philip passed away this morning that we are taping this and talking. Um, you were an ambassador to a formerly royal, now a democratic government. I wonder if there are any hints of the old ways in the, in Germany, the ways of the Kaiser and that, that famed imperial family of which Prince Philip, I believe, was a relative, even though he was Greek and Brit. Look, I think that uh, what Europe has in terms of uh, the old guard, so to speak, is... Um, is something that's that creates stability. Uh, people absolutely welcome the royal families. They uh, see it as a great tradition. Uh, I think at this point, looking at Prince Philip and the Queen, we should all aspire to having a life of service, uh, a life of love. Um, I think what what the uh, what Prince Philip has given us in terms of service to his country and love to the queen. We can all aspire to have such an amazing relationship. I couldn't agree more. Now, I've read the Telegraph's obituary already. One more question, an American question. Do you think Meghan Markle will be attending the funeral? I don't think she should. I, I think that it would create too much um, distraction. It's a day of, of mourning for the family. Uh, I think what she did uh, truly was uh, despicable to go on TV and accuse uh, anonymously the royal family. I thought Prince um, Prince William has handled it extremely well, just a class act, and continues to push for service and loyalty. And uh, I, I hope that she doesn't go, and I hope that, that uh, Prince Harry does go. This needs to be a, a time where they honor the the tradition and the pageantry, I think this is a time of healing. Now, Rick, let's move to California. You have moved back to California. Um, why did you come back? But first, tell us, when did you first move? You're not originally from California. When did you come to the Golden State? So I was, oh gosh, I have to remember. I think it was third or fourth grade. My family moved to the Bay Area, Redwood City, and I went to elementary school in uh in redwood city and you know my my mom's family has a long tradition of being in california and so that's why we moved there when i was in elementary school and then as i became an adult i, I went to uh, school undergrad in missouri went to grad school in boston i worked on the hill for a number of years with, with governor pataki and then came back to california to work for the mayor of San Diego, actually, um, Susan Golding, in uh, in the late 90s. And in, one interesting fact is um, the future former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, was uh, on our staff, worked for, for Mayor Golding for a little while. And the and fetching Mrs. Kevin. Hewitt worked for Mayor Golding before she became Mayor Golding when she and George uh, had a uh, job together. Let me ask you, though, you've come back to California, which is not a failed state in the sense of Somalia or Venezuela being a failed state. 
But it certainly is a failing state in United States terms. Why in the world come back here and not go to Florida with your boss, your former boss, uh, President Trump, or to Tennessee, where everybody in California seems to be moving to Nashville? Why come back to California? Because if you don't live in California, then suddenly you find yourself in somewhere else. And for me, there's just no other option but California. I, I have a choice of either California or not. And I, I fundamentally think that the state is amazing. There's, there's no state that's more beautiful. Uh, it has incredible diversity. You know, California is known for being uh, far left, progressive. Um, and I think that's only because we've had terrible one-party leadership for so long. And one-party leadership in a state is never good. Uh, you need to have a, a thoughtful discussion about the issues. And we just don't have that in California. Sacramento is a supermajority everywhere. Our media in Sacramento are afraid to take on the supermajority because their stories will, uh, their, their information and access will suddenly dry up. And so we've had for now uh, way too long one-party control, and you see it in the decisions of Sacramento, and now you see it in the in the incredible frustration of the electorate. We have a lot of middle-class Californians, people who are not famous, people who are not uh, wealthy, and those individuals who are the majority of Californians have watched Zoom school uh, create havoc on their children. We are the 50th state to, to open up, and Yet we're still not even open. We're, we're still the 50th state in terms of, of trying to get there. Now, before we go into the litany of woes of California and talk to you about that, I want to get one more bio deal. Where did you go to high school in California? I didn't go to high school in California. I went to high school back in Michigan. My family moved back to Michigan. So I was born in Michigan, moved to California. And then my family, when I was in eighth grade, moved back to, uh, to, to Michigan, where my dad was from. That's why you're always suspect on sports. All right. Now, let's begin. The woes of California are are lengthy. Shutdowns, schools not open, sort of open, not really open. Fires, the grid is, is shaky. The train to nowhere sits out there to be discovered in 3,000 years like that Egyptian city we we're talking about this morning under a pile of uh, volcanic ash from Yellowstone blowing, and they'll wonder what the heck it is. I mean, it is a mess, Rick. And I left for uh, for Virginia four years ago. I like to come back for December and January, and I've stayed longer this year to get the vaccine. And the rollout here hadn't been exactly good, but it's better than Canada's. What in the world happened? When I came here in 89, it was indeed a wonderland. We had George Duke Majin and Pete Wilson. Look, I think that we've had some very radical special interest groups that have done a very good job of convincing the politicians to concentrate on uh, really uh, in incredibly um, unrealistic policy issues and implement those policy issues and really ignore the big issues that need to be confronted. Let me give you an example. We, we have rolling blackouts in California. Why aren't we confronting growing our energy sources? We have no LNG terminals on the entire West Coast. We're shutting down production of, of crude oil. We've gotten rid of nuclear energy. Um, it's worse than Germany in terms of the emotional decision-making process of Sacramento to respond to the emotionalism of radical interest groups. Meanwhile, we are suffering. I'll give you another example. We, we're not cleaning up dead trees in the forest. We're allowing those trees to, to die, the brush to die. We're not removing it. We're not managing the forest in a way to say, uh, hey, maybe we should start removing some of these trees as they die so that they won't create forest fires. We don't do that because some environmental crazies have decided that that's a bad idea. It actually would open up our timber industry if we allowed the timber industry to responsibly move in and clear the brush, clear the dead trees or the dying trees and manage the forest like most other states do. Uh, you look at the water issue. We live on the ocean in California and yet we're telling people don't water your grass, quick 
quickly take a shower. We keep talking about uh, conserving water, and we do nothing about the water supply. And I, I just keep saying to my friends in California who are in leadership positions, the Middle East has figured this out. You can live in the desert and have as much water as you want, but you've got to do things like desalinization. You've got to change your water policy. We're not building dams in California because, again, the radical environmentalists have somehow convinced us that that's a bad idea. I'd like so to point out to people, there is a functioning desalinization plant in Carlsbad. There's an experimental plant in Huntington Beach. But, and those are very fine little projects. But if we did it the way that Israel and Saudi Arabia and uh, the Gulf states do it, we would have a desal plant every 100 miles or so up the California coast. And the cost per water acre would go down dramatically. And the cost of experimentation would go down dramatically. Drought is a choice in California. And the choice that the Democratic Party makes is for drought because it empowers bureaucracy. That's my view, Richard Grinnell. No, I think that that's exactly true. And let's go back and look at uh, the, the small desalinization plant that we've been able to get. It was hard fought. It took way too long. It was incredibly expensive. There was uh, a lack of support, let's put it that way, from, from the state government. It took incredibly long to look at the evidence that we live on the ocean, because I do think that it is a choice that the, the far left management of the state is making is that they would rather listen to the radical interest groups than do the policies that the majority of Californians expect us to do, which is to have clean water available, to have uh, clean air that, uh, that, that allows us to not shut down businesses. And, and instead, we have been told by Democratic leadership that you've got to pick one or the other, dirty air or dirty water. And that, it's, I, I served on the California Air Quality Management District in the South Coast, Pete Wilson's appointee. It's simply not true. We've got beautiful air out here and we have clean water, but we have a regulatory system that's broken. Let me begin with those interest groups, Richard Grinnell. We've got uh, California Teachers Association. We have the prison guards. We have the tribes. We have the SEIO, which is both uh, public and, and private. We've yeah. just got uh, public employee unions and affiliates that have a stranglehold on Sacramento, probably because of a bad idea that I supported at the time, term limits. Term limits seem like a good idea at the time as a way to break the power of Willie Brown. And in retrospect, we shouldn't have broken the power of Willie Brown. The state might still work. But we did, and we're stuck with it. And now those groups rule California. And I'm not overstating it. Those groups rule California. 100%. They, they are uh, radical interest groups that are interested in, in their leadership, pay, in, in membership, rather than giving their members policies that work. And we've got to figure out how to break that system. And, and I do think that we're at that point, Hugh. I think that about 10 years ago, many Republicans decided that California needed to to just be an ATM for the rest of the country, to have uh, House races and Senate races that we would support. It was easier to pay for a Senate race in North Carolina from California dollars than to fight for our own uh, Senate seat in California. These are the, these are the uh, decisions that Republicans made about 10 years ago. In essence, we gave up. We said, let's let the left implement these crazy policies. Let's let them take us off the cliff so that at some point we'll have evidence to show the electorate that their policies took us off the cliff. Well, I believe that after a year of Zoom school and a year of having everything shut down, the electorate has seen California. You've seen the homelessness completely take over our cities. Uh, we, we now have seen what Democratic policies in California do to the extreme. They've taken us off the cliff. And now we have an electorate that's saying uh, we've got to change course. We've got to do something different. I'm hoping that we can make this permanent change, that we can go into every county and clean up the voter rolls, demand voter ID and, and increase voter registration at the same time and give the voters a fundamental transformational policy that I believe will 
will begin to take the state in a different direction, and that is to upend the way we fund education in California and to have the money, the, the incredible amounts of money that we spend on, on students. $25,000 per student is, is one uh, estimate. I think it could be higher than that. Take that money and ask the voters, do you want that pot of money per student, per pupil? to go and follow the student's decision as to where to go to school and the family's decision. Whether it's private school or government-run school, let the schools compete for the dollars and let the families choose where the money goes. Now, Rick Rennell, before we go to the recall effort that is underway, it hasn't qualified yet, we don't know if it, it will, I want to pause on something you said. California has become the showroom for American socialism. There's no doubt about it. This is where American socialism lives on the left coast. We have a tax system like that. And if you ask the Democrats in California, the problem is we do not tax enough. And they are proposing a wealth tax now. Having snuck through a change to Prop 13, the answer in a one-party state committed to left-wing ideology is always higher taxes do you think that the rest of the country has any idea of the tax structure here and what is being proposed in the Assembly and the Senate of California right now, a wealth tax? No, I don't think anyone understands just how bad California is. Uh, they, they've, uh, I think, over the last year, because of COVID, haven't been able to visit. And we've seen the state completely go off the cliff. Uh, but I want to say one thing that, that I think is a little bit different, and I think the messaging is really important. I don't believe that it's Democrats of California that have decided to do that. I think it's Democratic politicians in Sacramento, because what I can tell you is that the electorate in California are not happy right now. They have seen there's been a wake up and they have seen that these uh, complete ridiculous policies of increasing our taxes yet again, without delivering any services, without seeing any change, and still asking us to conserve water and watch as wildfires take over and homelessness come around. People are not interested in paying higher taxes, even Democrats in California. They have begun to say this is not the answer anymore. We've got to do something different. And I, and I can't emphasize this enough. There is a, a real uh, shake going on in California. It's an earthquake, and it is with the electorate in California. I have seen Democrats and declined staters in, in California, which is our, our largest uh, party. They are focused on making sure that we do something different. And I'm not suggesting that they're going to vote for Republicans, but they absolutely do not want to see the direction of the state stay on the course. I want to uh, remind everyone of James Q. Wilson, the great social scientist who began at Harvard, ended his career at UCLA, wrote the book, The Moral Sense, also coined the term of the broken windows theory. If there were broken windows in a neighborhood, it attracted more trouble, and that if you fix the broken windows, you would be moving. The human equivalent of the broken window is a homeless tent or cardboard house on the street. The city of Los Angeles and the county of Los Angeles has 70,000 unhoused people. I recently went to Skid Row with Judge David Carter for a hearing of the district court there, and I hadn't been to Skid Row in 20 years since I covered it for KCET. It is a zombie apocalypse. I have never seen anything like it outside of the worst slums of Argentina and Brazil. And Rick Grinnell, it's almost impossible for me to imagine a solution, but that the unhoused is in fact the broken window of today. And it is everywhere in California. It's not just LA, it's in Orange County, it's in San Diego, I'm sure it's in the desert. I know it's in San Francisco and the North Coast. What do you think? I actually think it's probably the number one issue that is discussed when Californians get together to talk about what ails their their state. They immediately turn to the housing encampment they saw under the freeway on which they drove. I can't emphasize this enough for people. It is absolutely the number one question when you go to see anybody. You immediately open the door to you, to your friend's house and you say, I haven't driven this way in so long, and I can't believe how many homeless encampments are here. It is a topic for the next 15 minutes. We live uh, in Manhattan Beach, California, and I don't know if you remember Dockweiler Beach. Here. Sure. 
But sure. Doc Weiler Beach right now is being debated on whether or not the entire beach will be a homeless encampment. They have proposed moving the homeless to oceanfront property where there's a public beach, where the public has been uh, allowed to park for free and to to enjoy the beach. This is a middle-class luxury. This is the vacation for middle-class Californians who can't afford to go to Disneyland or take a trip somewhere else. They come to the beach where it's free. And now what they are proposing is to turn that entire beach and parking lot Beautiful Pacific Ocean front property available to Californians. Turn it into a homeless encampment. People are furious that they can't control this process, and and this is not a uh, you know th- this is not a problem that that just arrived overnight. This has been going on for three and four years, and people have watched it creep up on us. And, and now what we have is an entire political establishment of far-left Democrats who are just going to keep taxing people to keep paying for new homeless encampments. We've got to change our policies. Otherwise, we are going to become a slum state. You know, I, I attended that hearing. I learned something that's amazing, Richard Grinnell. Manhattan Beach is in Los Angeles County, but it's an incorporated city, so it wouldn't apply specifically to it. But in the in the county's inventory of property is Old County USC General Hospital, 14 or 17 stories of empty rooms with bathrooms and showers that is not used. It's not used. And yet they have 70,000 homeless people in the county of L.A. and they're moving them to the beach. It's actually the most dysfunctional thing I've ever seen. It's a government with all of the responsibility and none of the authority because L.A. City is divided into 14 uh, basically monarchies, the city council district, a hapless, hopeless mayor who presides and doesn't decide, and then tiny little satellite cities like Manhattan Beach, which cope as best they can, although I haven't heard about that plan. That plan is nuts. I usually spend Saturdays when I'm in California at Huntington Beach, and the homeless problem has appeared there too, but not in an organized way, sort of startling. Hadn't been there for the 25 years I've run at Huntington Beach. But is that a Manhattan Beach City Council initiative, or is that the County of L.A. saying this? No, it's the County of it's the County of L.A. Oh my gosh! And, and the county is uh, let, let's be very realistic. The county is so weak that if they make this decision to house homeless at Dockweiler Beach, that will never go away. You will never be able to peel that back. That will be a homeless encampment for the rest of eternity. And so I think rather than keep supplying encampments, we have to deal with the homeless problem. I don't think it's compassionate, Hugh, to to look the other way when someone is soiling themselves on the sidewalk in front of your business or in front of your coffee house. I actually think that we have to start being honest about the the, the problems. Many of these people, the majority, the overwhelming majority, are not homeless as much as they are addicted to drugs or alcohol. And we need to start saying that it is more compassionate to force people into treatment than it is to look the other way as they're soiling themselves on the street. Three categories. I know you're evangelical. I know that you have a heart for these folks. And I know because I've been working on the, the matter, I'll be writing about it for The Post, Three large categories of homeless are the mentally ill, the addicted, and the economically um, dis- uh, crisis. And it's the the last are the easiest to deal with. You rapidly rehouse them and you give them first and last month rent and you get them into an apartment. The first two are hard to deal with but can be dealt with. I talked to a Democratic mayor this week, Rick Grinnell, uh, Mayor Quentin, uh, uh, Mayor Q of Kansas City, as he's called, Quentin Lucas, and they're doing very innovative things in Kansas City, Democratic City. They're buying old housing units and having homeless people move in and repair them and occupy them. The kind of innovation you would never get out of Los Angeles County or city. They're two different jurisdictions because it's just completely dysfunctional. It doesn't work. Nothing works in L.A. Look, at if you're mentally ill or you're addicted to drugs or alcohol, we can't give you a house because that's not the solution to your problems. I agree with you that, that anyone who is in a financial crisis, uh, there, there are um, many 
organizations, churches that will step up and help legitimate economic uh, crisis situations. And I believe that we have uh, plenty of good hearts in California that are willing to help people who are truly down and out and just need a helping hand. The churches are ready to do this. And yet what we're told constantly are the homeless numbers are too big. And I think that we've got to start saying that, that it's the uh, mentally ill and the drug addicted and, and alcohol addicted individuals that are too much. We've got to bifurcate these groups and start solving their problems and, and going deep by saying, what is compassion? Is it compassion to ignore someone who is mentally ill or force them into treatment? I think forcing them into treatment is the public policy solution. I really believe that. And you won't, the, the audience will not believe this. The city of Los Angeles actually has a policy that forbids the participation of faith-based organizations in the rehabilitation of the addicted uh, for the simple reason that they believe it's a, uh, a disease and they believe that the uh, sober living that requirement. That faith plays no role. They believe yes. that faith plays no role. And I can tell you there's an organization called Teen Challenge, which is in many uh, of our cities across the country, which is a, a faith-based program that absolutely deals with the individual and, and their addiction problems. And it's very successful. I don't care um, what 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 the organization is, if they are successful in getting people to not be addicted to drugs, alcohol, or, or controlling their mental illness, we, we have to support those organizations. Building an encampment to house them and then look the other way and pretend like that is compassion. I won't go toe to toe on what compassion is. Compassion is going after the individual and solving their problems, not giving them a house on the beach. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Time for a pause now in this edition of the interview with Hugh Hewitt. I want to remind you that our sponsor is andrewandtodd.com. They're with Sierra Pacific. They lend you money to refinance your house or buy a home or help your son or daughter become investors in real estate by becoming a non-occupying co-borrower. They help senior citizens with reverse mortgage. They help veterans with no money down mortgages. They help you refinance. So if you need to get money out of your house or you need a whole new house, go to andrewandtodd.com or call them at 888 Now back to this edition of Hugh Hewitt and the interview. Now, Ambassador Richard Grinnell, the next broken window that most Californians will talk about is the fact that their children cannot buy a house. It has become... Uh, such an overpriced state, uh, unless you get a, an encampment tent on Manhattan Beach, you're not going to buy a condo in Manhattan Beach if you're in your 20s or even your 30s. You're not going to get anywhere close. You're not going to get on the west side of the five for, for under a half million dollars. It has become, uh, it's the consequence, by the way, of not building new housing units, of rent control, of overzoning. I've lived this for 35 years when I practiced law. Do you also hear that as you have returned to California that no one can afford to live here? Yeah, young people who are super creative and entrepreneurial are having a very difficult time. They all get stuck in renting in California and then they watch their their friends from uh, you know growing up or friends in other states, friends from college that are buying 
in other states, and it's a real problem. That's why they're going to Austin and Nashville. Austin and Nashville are the new Los Angeles, the new Hollywoods, and it's because— Look, people are moving back to Michigan and Ohio and Indiana. I keep hearing about it all the time. Uh, And and a lot of this is as soon as you get married and start to realize that you want to have kids and a family, you leave California because it's just too expensive. And I, I think you hit it. The manipulation of the market by far-left Democrats, by uh, doing market manipulations through zoning or rent control and trying to control like a balloon, squeezing in the middle and then it's going to pop out on the other side. You cannot manipulate the market without understanding that you are creating negative externalities for the rest of eternity. And we've got to dial that back. We've got to be able to, um, to, to understand that we have the ability and, and land and space in California to even out uh, the manipulations. I mean, I, I look at so many of our cities in California where the city councils are rushing to rent control, and they're making the situation worse. And we've we also got to get our property taxes under control. And I think through the educational funding is going to be a way to also not only help housing prices, uh, but but really be able to stabilize um, the tax system. The, the third broken window you have touched on, it's the Zoom school. California has the worst record of opening and closing generally the economy. Governor Newsom has really screwed it up. But at the same time, with the strongest teacher union, they don't want to go back. And by meaning going back, they don't want to go back to what? 2019 was. They want to go back with better benefits, better vacation, childcare for their children, and they're able that that their students themselves, the parents of their students don't get. They are the preferred class. California teachers run the state and they are refusing to go back to work, much like Chicago, in many places in the state. And parents are are livid, Richard Grinnell. I don't know if you've talked to parents. They are livid. Yeah. Well, well, this is this is the number one issue right now is schools, Zoom school and the the terrible decision of Gavin Newsom and the educational system. I want to make sure that we understand this, though. The problems are with the teachers union, not the teachers, because many teachers do want to go back. And I believe that what's happened over the last year is that the unions have now demonstrated to uh, the union members that they are selfish, that the union is not out for uh, the kids, that the union is not out for the teachers. And teachers are beginning to push back and say, I would like to go back. But these union bosses are demanding. uh, I just talked to a teacher the other day and I said, what is the deal that these unions want child care now for teachers in order for them to go back to school? This is something that, that we don't have for other professions. And demanding that you get childcare in order to go back to your job as a teacher is is infuriating. And this teacher said, "No, we 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 teachers are not demanding that. It's the unions that are doing it. And you know, if the unions can win and we can get that, we'll gladly accept it. But but we are willing to go back. We want to go back to normal. So I think that the teachers' unions have overplayed their hand. I think the, they've lost the public." Uh, you know, I, I know many families who voted for Gavin Newsom who are now block captains for the recall effort. They're trying to get rid of them. And it's mainly because of Zoom school. By the way, all of the wealthy people in California have done what Gavin Newsom's family has done, which is going back to a private in-person learning a long time ago. They got around the system. So when Gavin Newsom says we're not opening the schools, what he means is is we're not opening the government-run schools for those of you who can't afford to send your kids to private school because the private schools, we're already in-person learning. And there is also a curriculum uh, uh, rebellion, which I'm not going to talk about. It's just become radical like the rest of the state. Before we go to the recall, I want to cover one not obvious problem. And when I talk about it, eyes tend to to grow dim and the mega effects uh, take over and the glazing of the eyes is occurring. And that's unfunded pension liabilities. But truth be told, if you talk about what we're paying retired water district administrators and what we are paying retired firefighters who did great work for 20 years, 
but they quit at the top of their career, age 50 to 45 to 55, and then we pay their six-figure pensions for the rest of their life with health care. The unfunded pension liability of California is gigantinormous. This is not a balanced budget, though Gavin Newsom will say it is, because they leave that off budget. And and Richard Grinnell eventually, and it's coming due actually fairly soon as the uh, boomers hit age 65 at the rate of 10,000 a day in the United States, many of them in California, the bill is coming due. Look, this has been an overpromise that we've made to certain people who work for the government. This has been a deliverable of the unions. They feel like uh, there's nothing that we can do because we got it locked in from from you know, decades ago from very far left city councils or mayors or, or or even statewide where we've made these promises to take care of the secretary in the water department. And um, he or she are getting incredible pensions that uh, this is just theft. And I don't care if we promised this years ago. It is morally bankrupt to do this to the rest of California who weren't paying attention. And And let's be clear. They did this legally, but immorally. And I think that what we have to be able to do is dial it back. And yes, there are going to be people who say, wait a minute, you you promised me that I would get this exorbitant pension for the rest of my life. And I think my reaction to them is, I'm sorry that we made that promise, but you got it for a number of years. You should be thankful. But now we've got to be honest and dial it back. I want to give one example, Richard Grinnell. The superintendent of Orange County makes approximately $350,000 a year in salary, not including the benefits. And when he retires, he will make the same in salary and benefits for the rest of his life. That's not an, uh, a unique case. That The top of the pyramid all over the California is crazy. But then you talk about the secretary at the water district. They're making $100,000. No one should actually make more in a retirement than someone who served active duty in the military to the rank of captain in the Navy or colonel in the military. No one should do that because those people put 30 years in. And especially on public dollars. Yeah, it's crazy. If you want to do this in your private company, uh, then you'll get a lot of workers who want to work for you. Nobody does that. When you do this with public dollars, it's shameful and it's theft. It's theft. So now let's talk about the recall. It has not yet qualified. There are, what do you think is the status of the recall? What do you expect will happen to the recall? Well, let's start first by what Christine Pelosi has told us, which is uh, she's Nancy Pelosi's daughter, and she is, uh, by all accounts, running the uh, Democratic Party. They listen to her, um, and and she gets her way. And she has said that there's not going to be a recall because right before it qualifies in in August, September, October, she's going to make sure that if Gavin Newsom is underwater, he resigns. And that the lieutenant governor takes over. And and this is so outrageous to the 250,000 volunteers that have put the recall forward because we want to recall the governor for mismanagement and all of his, uh, you know, far left policies of ignoring what Californians want. That doesn't when, if he resigns and his lieutenant governor takes over, that doesn't fix the problem. And the outrage factor will be through the roof if this is what happens. Now, the new rumor, Hugh, is that Gavin Newsom's people are are pushing Dianne Feinstein to retire, at which point Gavin Newsom would appoint himself to be the senator, and he will save the state and the Democratic Party from having to go through a recall. Now, this is another outrage because Gavin Newsom personally, personally has appointed the secretary of state, a statewide office in California, the attorney general, another statewide office, and one U.S. senator. Already, he's appointed three statewide positions that were supposed to vote on, but he personally got to pick. And uh, people are just seeing the corruption of the state. And so uh, it's a long answer to say, I I don't know what's going to happen with this recall. The Democrats control the process. They've announced that they're going to spend 30 days trying to convince people to unsign the the petitions. 
they are trying now, they're scrambling to open up and push the recall vote as late as they can so that the emotions go away. Um, it, and I think the emotions going away is probably a very real thing. The, the people who want to recall Gavin are going to have to constantly remind the voters that uh, this is a, a real problem of uh, political nature, not just uh, COVID, that, that if we see another virus or we see another moment where shutting down the economy would benefit the Democrats, they'll do it again. And I got to add to that, Richard Grinnell, they cannot solve the homelessness problem before the recall vote if it takes uh, place in the ordinary course. In the ordinary course, the recall would be, I believe, ratified for the ballot in uh, late April and a election scheduled for August or September. That would be the ordinary and that'll never, course. That'll never happen. They're, they're already talking about this election is going to be, if it's going to be, in November. And Gavin has announced that we won't be going to the polls for the recall, that it's 100 percent by mail-in ballot. So this is the problem where they, they control the system of mail-in ballots, where it's recklessly sent out to everybody on voter rolls, and the voter rolls are a mess. And so if you live in an apartment complex, which a lot of people do in California, you are going to get ballots from the last four people that lived in that apartment complex uh, unit because we don't clean up the voter rolls. So we have massive fraud in California. That is a fact. And people who, who say, no, we don't, are the ones who are also advocating that we don't look too deep to find the fraud. And, I, and I'd like to tell people, personal example, the fetching Mrs. Hewitt and I left in 2016. We have voted in Virginia since then. We continue to receive absentee ballots. Our son, who moved out, thank you, God, and, you know, he launched, uh, continues to receive ballots 10 years after he left our house. That is the Cal, and that's in Orange County with a fairly functioning registrar of voters. Uh, I don't know it's what happening it's happening like- in Orange County. It's, it's triple worse in Los Angeles County. Right. Look, right. I got kicked off Twitter for two days because I posted the ballot of uh, my neighbor's parents. One had been dead for 10 years. The other had been dead for 12 years. Hugh, I'm telling you, when we have L.A. County not checking the death rolls for 10 years, this is a scandal. These people are voting because they also make it so easy. You get a ballot in the mail, and then you can go drop it off anonymously, and the signature verification machines are turned down, or we don't have them. You just look at the evidence of how many signature verifications were were caught as as you know, fraud or or mismatched, and the number keeps going down as the massive number of mail-in ballots goes up. Now, Governor Wilson's a good friend of mine, and he has told me repeatedly that the California Constitution has emergency powers available to the California governor that he employed when he needed to rebuild the uh, the 10 freeway after the Northridge earthquake, but which can be used on the housing, on the voting rolls, on any emergency, which is broadly defined which is why it is tempting to think a recall, if it succeeded, would put someone into power. But Rick Grinnell, I remember 2003. Arnold is a friend. He ran. He won. He promised a great deal. He had a glass jaw. Would the same thing happen to anyone who replaced Gavin, which is they got broken quickly by the organized authority of the unions in Sacramento? Well, look, I think there's no question that, that whoever takes the job is going to be under attack. Um, by the way, one point of uh, note is that Gavin Newsom does right now function under emergency powers because of COVID. So he could do many of these fixes if he chose to, but instead he's manipulating the voting process uh, by having total mail-in, pretending like it's about COVID, but it actually helps the Democrats and and their strategy of not checking the voter rolls. And so uh, I think that that there's no question that the one-party rule and the media of California will all attack the person who tries to make change. Okay, let me talk about the person who tries to make change. Have you ruled out running in a recall? No. And have you talked to other people who are thinking about running in a recall? Uh, I have talked to a couple of people who are thinking of running in a recall, but, but most people 
who who are really focused on permanent change are are first trying to make sure that uh, you know we get a recall at the same time that we harness the incredible frustration of the voters to figure out what's the long-term change. I, I fundamentally believe that just having all of our energy and all of our strategy put into a recall is the wrong way to go. That is not enough. That is not going to solve our problems. And we are, we are foolish to think that if anyone who is going to tell Republicans or decline the state or the frustrated voter in California that the solution is to join my governor's race because I'm going to fix your problems, uh, I think is, is, is borderline fraud. That but you know, we do love a problem. circus. We love a circuit, uh, and and we've already got Kevin Falconer, former mayor of San Diego, Caitlyn Jenner. He and she have both declared for the governor's race. There are going to be more who do I so. I don't think the- Caitlyn has. I don't think Caitlyn has declared. John Cox has declared, and Kevin Faulkner and Major Williams. Um, but but I I believe that the two hundred fifty thousand volunteers that put the recall into effect are wanting to focus on making sure that we actually get the recall as quickly as possible. And then remember, we're going to need a whole bunch of people to try to get over that 50% question on the first ballot. But let's play this out, Hugh, and I, and I keep saying this to people. If, if we raise $75 million to recall Gavin, and, and by lightning striking, we actually get to have the recall at a time when the voters are still frustrated and we can get question one over the 50% line and Gavin is recalled and somebody else replaces them, the entire system in 2022 reverts back to the, the democratic system. The voter rolls will have not been cleaned up. They will win in 2022 because they will go back to the same system that, that benefits them. Unless we make permanent change, we are kidding ourselves. And, and I don't want to find ourselves a year down the road of looking at voters who said, I gave, I gave money to this race, and I, I was told that we were going to you know, fix California by having a recall of, of one person. And the, the, the reality is, is none of the change that we want. If you love California, you've got to be in this for a four-year fight to fix the voter fraud and to upend the way that we're doing some of these big programs like education. Now, the unless that you put there, the the longer commitment than to the carnival of a recall, that would require a full slate of candidates, including for uh, against Alex Padilla, an appointed senator, uh, for Dianne Feinstein's open seat. They'll both be on the ballot, I believe, I, but in you, 2022. You, this is the thing. I think you're putting the cart before the horse here. It's not about who we put on the ballot. It's not about candidate selection right now, because all of those candidates, I, we could put Jesus Christ on the, on the ballot. We could put Condi Rice. We could put you. We could put very popular people on the ballot. But they have to vote under the current phony system that, that the, the voter registration, uh, the, the voter rolls in our counties are a mess. No one is going to win if you've got an R. But that's a chicken and an egg problem. System. How, how do you how do you solve the chicken and the egg problem? Well, I, I, I don't I don't think it is a chicken and egg problem. I think it's uh, we have to sue every county to clean up the voter rolls. And as you shrink the voter rolls of all the fraud and the people who shouldn't be voting or the dead people or the people who have violated residency requirements and at the same time register the really frustrated people. Uh, and you get them registered to vote, you're going to increase the pool of people. We have a whole bunch of people who don't vote in California. A lot of gun owners don't vote because they don't want to give their information to this left-wing government. And so if you get rid of the fraud in the voter rolls, at the same time you increase the, the voter registration and at the same time you do what Fix California does, which is put a ballot initiative that will upend educational funding. You're going to attract a whole bunch of new voters, uh, economic uh, fam- families who are middle class, black, Hispanic, Asian parents who are really tired of having their kids go to the crappy school down the street. 
So, Rick, and, now, who, who is the we? Those three things, I believe, I believe, Hugh, that those three things are the permanent change, which is going to help elect not only a governor in California that is focused on the people, but dog catcher. Every single person down the line in a ballot will benefit from voters who are more focused on real issues and, and the fraud on the voter rolls are cleaned up. Well, I have to push back because uh, it is a chicken and egg problem, in my view, having fought the good fight here for 30 years and then quit. Uh, fix. I don't know how you fix California. I don't know who the we is, and we have to sue to clean up every voter roll. Who's the we there? Is there an organization? Is there a leader? Is there a focal point other than a recall campaign? Well, so we have launched Fix California, a 501c4. We're doing a, in the last five weeks, we've had incredible support, financial support, uh, people who really want to stay in California and fight the long-term fight. So we're raising money, and we are going to sue every single county. And the we there is Judicial Watch is with us. We've got uh, the, the people who have traditionally been suing counties in California. Judicial Watch took on L.A. County, for instance. Uh, Harmeet Dillon is going to be um, a part of this legal team. We've got uh, the best law firm. Uh, Adam Laxalt's firm is helping us. Um, what we're trying to do is bring together all of those pieces that have wanted to sue counties and voter rolls and bring it under one umbrella so that we can be organized and efficient. We, we're not tripping over ourselves and everybody's suing L.A. County, but we can spread it out, learn the lessons from L.A. County, learn what works in the court, take those lessons of voter fraud and take it to other counties. We're going to go through every county and clean up the voter rolls. So how, how does one find Fix California? The right thing to do. But, but how does right? someone find Fix California? So online, it's FixCaliforniaNow.com. FixCaliforniaNow.com. You know, for someone who is so skilled in the media, the fact that you left it to the end of the podcast to take FixCaliforniaNow.com <laughs> is like 10 marks off your, your standard uh, deviation <laughs> from uh, greatness on FixCaliforniaNow.com. And fix when people... FixCaliforniaNow. FixCaliforniaNow.com. They go there, they sign up, they become part of the process. Are you actually, you know, Rick, if it doesn't work, if you can't get any progress in two years, are you giving up? I gave up. I went to Virginia. I can't pay the taxes anymore. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm never giving up on California. Uh, and I think now is the right time. People are super frustrated. Uh, they're focused. And I've never seen more energy to make permanent change than, than what I've seen now. And, and by the way, Hugh, I, I, I have to say this. I think people outside of California keep focusing on the recall or governor's race. But people in California want permanent change. And I, I couldn't agree why, with you this more. Is why the, this is why the Fix California Now group is, is exploding. We're raising money and we're focused and we're taking action rather than talk. We will continue the conversation with Ambassador Rick Grinnell. We're up against the hard stop for a podcast, which is never go over 60 minutes. FixCaliforniaNow.com. Ambassador Richard Grinnell, great to talk to you at length. This will be the next interview in the interview podcast, and we'll play more of it next week on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Thank you, Rick, and have a great, great spring and summer. If you come back to the Beltway, call me. Thank you. Thank you.